Christ's imminent return is the hope of the church and the motivation to live with faith and love. This is what we will study in this episode of Through the Word. Hi, I'm Adam Burton. I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church, Maysville, Kentucky. Every Thursday, I release a new Bible study that comes from the Gospel Project, where we go chronologically through the entire Bible to see how all of Scripture points to Jesus. You can watch Through the Word on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and our website at cbcmaysville.com. You can also subscribe to the Through the Word audio podcast in your favorite podcasting app. Well, are you ready? Let's study the Bible. When someone incorporates exercise in their life for the first time or after a long stretch of not doing it, they they experience the expected physical barriers of pain and soreness. But probably even more challenging is the mental aspect. Voices in your head mock your plans for persistence. Comparing yourself to others who are further along convinces you that your dreams are unrealistic. All the reasons why exercise is too hard to tempt you to fall back into unhealthy habits. Shame assaults you with the reminder that you let yourself get this far gone when you could have prevented it. But despite all the hindrances in our way, some refuse to give up. They continue to show up and push through the pain, the mocking voices, the comparisons, the temptations, and the shame. Their hope of getting to the other side drives them. Persevering now in light of the vision may have they have for themselves is more fulfilling than being overcome by indulgent and an instant gratification. So they press on. The pursuit of a healthy lifestyle and a vision of an ideal self are great. But the ultimate hope for believers in Christ is far greater and everlasting. This study will outline the the characteristics of Christian hope and uncover the nature and purpose behind our waiting and and exploring how the destinies of those in Christ and those apart from Him differ drastically. We will receive an indisputable urgency to share the good news of Christ in hopes that many will come to know Him and escape the destruction that awaits those apart from Him. We will discover that living in light of Christ's assured return produces a profound unity within His church and transforms how we live our everyday lives. Here's our first point. The church hopes in the return of Christ. Read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Death has a complex and profound effect on people because it is antithetical to who we are as image bearers of God. We were not created to know death. This explains why we are shocked, saddened, angered, perplexed, and frightened by death when it strikes. We all mourn and grieve over death because it is unnatural. We were created to dwell eternally with God. But when sin entered the world, death followed. Just as God had promised, it would in consequence for Adam and Eve's transgression. Paul's charge to the Thessalonian Christians not to grieve like people who have no hope was not a license to be cruel or to lack empathy. No, he was not granting permission to, to scoff at the tears cried over an unbeliever who has died nor is he proposing that that we abstain from longing for the kindness or laughter of an unbelieving parent, or that we avoid reminiscing about the creativity and silly antics of an unbelieving friend. Paul was distinguishing between the way unbelievers deal with death and the way believers should deal with death. You know, how can the, the common tendency to grieve over death open doors for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, facing the death of someone forces people to evaluate their worldview regarding the the nature of death and what it comes after. You know, an unbeliever may become curious why a a believer grieves death differently. Or the death of an unbeliever or, or a church member's loved one often evokes the love and care of the church for those who are grieving. You know, giving a a demonstration of of love of God and the power of the gospel. We find healing in missing, honoring, and reminiscing about a loved one who has died. But our hope cannot rely on these memories. Our hope in the midst of grief should, should look to the future to the second coming of Christ. When we and those who have died in Christ will be raised and restored in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection for all eternity, those who live and die apart from Christ do not hope in him and therefore don't know the the consolation that comes from anticipating Jesus' return. Knowing that people were Christians when they died produces a peace within us that we would not have if if we were unsure of their spiritual state or certain of their unbelief. You know, we find relief and rest, not just in the fact that they are no longer at war with sin or suffering from illness, pain, anxiety, depression, or heartache, but most importantly, that they now reside in the presence of their Creator, a place far better than the one that we continue to inhabit. No true love wants what's best for others, and there is nothing better than being with the Lord. You know, the Son of God's first coming to earth was was characterized by meekness, gentle, like a lamb. He had no form or majesty that, that we should look at him, no 
beauty, that we should desire him. But when he comes again, he will make quite an entrance, descending from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. No one, no one will miss it. When that day comes, those who are in him by faith, whether long dead or still alive, will be with him always, raised and restored together in the likeness of our resurrected Savior. Believers know that nothing can compare to the coming completion of our salvation when Jesus comes again. Here's our second point. The church prepares for the return of Christ. Read with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1-3. through 3. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are, are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, like the Thessalonian believers, we don't know when Christ will return. But we do know that that when he comes again, it will be sudden and swift. Therefore, we must prepare for his return by maintaining an acute awareness of it. If you wait to prepare for a thief once he is already robbing you, well, it's, it's too late. Similarly, we must maintain a state of preparedness for for Christ's return, not because he is going to steal our stuff, but so that we are ready to meet him with joy and in peace. You know, properly readying yourself for the return of Christ need not be understood as as the equivalent of to doomsday bunkers and stockpiles. No, continuing to contribute to a retirement plan or a toddler's college tuition fund planning a family vacation two years in advance or going out to karaoke with your friends uh, and excelling in your career are are not confirmations that you've lost touch with your heavenly purpose. Jesus can be glorified in all these things as long as he is your center, the driving force from from which you operate. You know, what are some ways that believers can prepare for Christ's return? Well, we can be intentional about placing Jesus at the center of our activities. We need to read and study the Word of God, which points to Jesus and teaches about Jesus' second coming. We need to pray and develop our relationship with the Lord so that we know and love Him more and more. We need to imitate Jesus in the ways that He sacrificed of Himself to serve others. We need to share the gospel which will remind us that our salvation from beginning to end is the work of Christ in our lives. Talking about the reality of hell might seem harsh, right? Extreme or even unloving, but hell does exist. So we must speak humbly and truthfully about it. The gospel is good news because it tells us of the only way we can escape an eternity of experiencing God's wrath in hell for our sin, instead of of being able to have true and eternal peace and security and and fellowship with God. Therefore, we cannot ignore the reality of hell. If if we would have people understand their dreadful estate as sinners and 
the beautiful promise of salvation through faith in Jesus. Check out this quote. We dwell among people who dangle above the flames of hell by a spider web. We have among us in our churches and our homes people who are clinging to the driftwood of a sin who will find out that wood does not float when God's judge when the flood of God's judgment comes. For the gospel message itself is offensive by nature. Right? The light of Jesus exposes the sin and darkness that that people love and presents the ultimate ultimatum turn from sin and trust in Jesus for salvation or continue on the path to destruction in hell. You know in an effort to to promote God's love some preachers and teachers have have tried to strip the gospel of its offensiveness focusing only on the the positive scripture passages and doctrines but a diluted gospel is no gospel at all. It is unloving to not warn someone of the danger that you know awaits them. Instead, we must plead with unbelievers boldly in compassion, humility, and truth as we share the good news to make plain the consequence of hell for for those who refuse to repent and believe in Jesus. Check out this essential doctrine, the nature of hell. For those who are not found in Christ, at the time of their death, the scriptures say that God's condemnation remains upon them and that they will be judged according to their deeds done on earth. The punishment that awaits unbelievers in hell is an eternal, never-ending suffering that comes from sins committed against an infinite God. In hell, sinners are forever separated from God. Here's our last point. The church lives in light of Christ's return. Read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 through 11. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us sleep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet and the hope of of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up, just as you are doing. You know, hoping then, preparing for, and living in light of Christ's return by our, are all byproducts of our new identity in Christ. Through faith, we, we no longer belong to the darkness as we, as we once did. And having been made alive in Christ, we are now children of the day. If we are living every moment for our Savior, then then whenever Christ comes back, we won't be surprised because we will be expecting him. The lights will, will be on in our homes of, of our souls, and we will all be awake, anticipating his arrival with joy. This is what it means to, to walk in the light. You know, the physical connection that we have with, with this world can cause us to, to overlook the spiritual realm we also exist in. You know, we are in 
constant a danger of, of being lulled to sleep by the, the here and the now, forgetting the, the dangerous consequences that, that come from, from trying to satisfy our lust of our flesh. So the world tempts us, and internally our sinful nature wages war against us. But we are not left defenseless. See, in our flesh, we are weak, but God has given us his Holy Spirit. So now we have the freedom and the power to exercise self-control. We can say no to the sin that was once our master. We can choose to repent and turn away from our sinful desires. We can walk in the light that and no longer be plagued by shame. Believers have also been equipped with a full body armor to cover our new self with protection against the flaming darts of our enemy, faith, love, and hope of salvation. See, we are we're not appointed to wrath, but salvation through Christ. So when in the midst of tragedy, trial, struggles with sin, and the testing of our faith, we can hold firmly to the promise that we lack nothing in Christ, and through His Spirit, He has equipped us with everything needed for life and godliness as we await our Savior's glorious arrival. Check out this essential doctrine, the second coming of Christ. The Bible is clear that one day Christ will return in bodily form to rule and reign over all creation. Scripture gives no timeline as to when it will occur, only assuring that it will be unexpected and glorious. Because of the mystery surrounding these events, several views have emerged in Christians' attempts to understand everything the Bible teaches about this return and and his millennial reign. One view holds that upon his return, Jesus will begin a literal 1,000-year reign on earth. Another holds that this millennium occurs in the church age to be followed by his return. Another still holds that the millennial, the millennium symbolic, symbolically represents Christ's reign in heaven and in the hearts of God's people while we wait for his return. You know, despite these differences, all views agree that the imminent return of Christ is the hope of every Christian, knowing that when Christ returns, all things will be made new. You know, it's important that we as believers remain focused on our Father's work but not for the sake of busyness. If a fire is not tended, it will die out. And as humans, it is our own nature to forget and to grow bored and weary. This is why we must be diligent to walk in the light. But the benefits are not just for ourselves. Our own spiritual health reinforces and encourages the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, as as we shine each other's armor and straighten each other's helmets, we, we, as we align ourselves in the harmony of our shared hope in Christ, we create a secure fortress that, that helps to preserve the spiritual survival of the individual through strengthening the unit. Our encouragement to one another in the church is rooted in our eternal destiny bought for us by Christ. See, our lives on this earth are are but a vapor, but that is not our end. Eternity awaits us, and faith in Christ determines whether we will spend eternity satisfied in His presence in heaven or apart from Him in utter torment in hell. For those in Christ, our debt has been paid, 
right standing with God purchased, and the curse of sin removed. Now we wait for the fullness of joy we will experience when Jesus returns and we are with him forever. Every day we are to live in light of this glorious destiny that awaits us, preparing for his return and and sharing the gospel so others will be ready to. Exercising and encouraging one another in, in the church in this hope draws us closer together as one body and enables us to be present and active where the Lord has sovereignty placed us. Because Christ has conquered sin and death, we maintain hope in all of life's circumstances and share the gospel with others, knowing that the return of Christ is at hand. So what's next? You know, the Bible tells us to to be not only hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So how are you going to respond to God's word? Well, here are some things for you to think about. What steps will you take to prepare yourself for death and the second coming of Christ? What are some ways your church can encourage one another in the midst of grief and in preparation for Jesus' second coming? Who in your life is, is dealing with grief? And how will you encourage that person with the truth of the gospel? Check out this quote. Christians have a duty to protect the power of eternal hope. The sweet by and by is not a psychological pacifier as the culture preaches. It is a guarantee that God has sworn by himself to fulfill. Would you pray with me? Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, we praise you for the salvation you want us on the cross, giving your life in place of ours so that we might know eternal life. You have promised to come again for your people, and we eagerly look forward to that day in faith and with a sure hope that you will do it. Until then, help us by your Spirit to walk in the light as children of the day, as faithful examples and bold witnesses of your salvation. Amen. Thanks for watching this episode of Through the Word. You know, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them, but that he would come again. See, when Christ returns, he will make all things new and purge every stain of sin's curse. Christ's imminent return gives the church hope and motivation to share the gospel with urgency. Can I share with you some good news? It's that Jesus came to live the perfect, sinless life that you could not live. He died the sinner's death that you deserve. But he defeated both sin and death by rising from the grave. You can be saved from your sins by simply by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you ready to give your life to Him? If so, will you pray this prayer with me? The words are going to be right here on, on the screen. Dear God, I am a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ, your Son, died for my sins and is alive right now. I turn away from my sin and now confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and receive Him into my life. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to control my life, and I thank you for giving me eternal life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you reach out to me? Maybe you have some questions about 
what it means to follow Jesus, would you get in touch? Go to our website at cbcmaysville.com forward slash connect because I want to connect with you and I want to send you some free resources to help you to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. And if you enjoyed this episode, would you please share it so that others too can experience God's Word. Next week's episode of Through the Word is titled Persevering in the Mission. We will see that God calls His people to fulfill their mission of faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Lord willing, I will see you next Thursday for Through the Word. Until then, God bless.